0: Luke 14. So if you have a Bible, or you have a phone, or you have a photographic memory, open up to Luke 14, um, and we'll be, we'll be talking about it. But before we kind of get into the text itself, I want to um, kind of set the scene for you, kind of describe what has gone on up until the point that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about a specific parable. A parable is like a story, a parable that Jesus tells We're going to be looking at that, but I want to talk about what has led to this moment. Jesus has been invited to Sabbath dinner at a Pharisee's house. Um, And as you found out last week, whenever you invite Jesus to a party, to a dinner, stuff starts to happen. He's a very disruptive person. He does not sit still, right? He does not follow the rules. He starts uh, making noise, he starts making waves. Be careful where you invite Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus around, right? Everybody wants Jesus kind of hanging out, but they don't really want him to speak. They don't really want him to act. They just kind of want Jesus in the background. Um, In the last local election, I had the chance to talk with uh, one of the gentlemen who was running for mayor. um, And uh, we were, he got introduced to him at a uh, fundraising event. And uh, when he found out that I was a pastor, he had this uh, spiel that he kind of went into about how if he was elected, he was going to allow us to advertise uh, you know, our Sunday morning service in all the local hotels. We were going to get a TV spot or something like that. Um, and I could tell by the way that he was kind of pitching this idea that he kind of wanted me on board, right? I mean, like, I, look, I, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Like, I don't have that much influence, but, but I do have a little bit of you know, street cred, You know, I have a little bit of legitimacy because I'm a I'm a pastor, and so I could tell he was kind of looking for me to kind of join up with. You know, what do you think about this idea? I've got this idea we could advertise services. You know, if I'm elected mayor, and um, having the church on your side uh, always provides a bit of moral legitimacy to your actions. People want to feel like they have a moral agenda. It helps politicians. And so after he was done talking, he asked me what I thought, you know, about his plans. And I said, um, "I said, well, what are you doing for the homeless in this city? And all of a sudden, he, he had other people that he wanted to talk to. <laughs> when you, Jesus is not content with being somebody on a wall, uh, giving you moral superiority, giving you moral legitimacy to your actions. Jesus is constantly going to be kind of poking a little bit, being disruptive upsetting your dinner service. That's what Jesus is about. People want Jesus to be present but silent, and he absolutely refuses to do that. So Jesus is at this party, okay? The first thing he does is he, he turns to the other guests, and he says, you know, I noticed something, you guys. I noticed that when I got here, everybody was trying to get the best seats at the party, right? The seats that are closest to the host, the seats with the highest honor. Just FYI, Jesus goes, FYI, in the kingdom of God, the people with the highest honor are the people who are sitting in the back. People who clamor for the seats up front, they're the people that are going to be excluded. They're the people who are going to be reduced in honor. So when you guys get into a party, look for the worst seats, because those are the seats that have the greatest honor in the kingdom of God. And uh, after he does that, he turns to the host, right? He turns to the host, and he goes, you know what? Another thing. I noticed that you invited all these honorable, respectable people in the community. Is it because you want them to pay you back? Is it because you're assuming that that they'll invite you to their party next? Like, if you really wanted honor in the eyes of God, you should have invited the people who can't pay you back. The poor people, and the crippled people, and the blind people. Because they could never pay you back. So that way, when you appear before God in the last day, you'll receive honor in front of him. But I suppose you're more interested in receiving your honor here from these people than you are receiving it from God. In other words, Jesus says, start being kingdom-minded, instead of being earthly minded are we more concerned with our co-worker's opinion about us than we are with God's opinion about us brothers and sisters god doesn't care a whit for how many degrees you have the number of digits in your bank account he does not care about how many rosaries you've prayed he doesn't care about how many people you've converted he really doesn't care about those things he doesn't care about how many bethmore facebook posts you've shared thank you katie Albert Einstein said, try not to be a man of success. Try to be a man of value. Jesus says, stop being concerned with self-elevation and start being concerned with God-elevation. Stop being concerned with self-elevation. Start becoming concerned about God-elevation. When you invite Jesus into your house, you better be prepared because he's going to start pointing things out. All of a sudden, the room gets pretty quiet. right? As Jesus has berated the host, berated the guests, and we feel kind of sorry for these guys. And it's in this moment that there's this guy who speaks up. This poor guy. I feel kind of bad for him. I imagine he's just sitting there, right? And he's like listening to all of the, all of the things that Jesus is saying. You know, he's, he's going on on the host. He's basically taking over this party. And the guy's kind of sitting there. And he's getting kind of, you know, embarrassed. The tension's rising. Jesus has probably paused to let his words sink in a little bit. And in this moment of silence, this guy goes, uh, yeah, wouldn't it be great for, um, for everyone in the, in the day of the Lord? God bless the guy who's going to eat at the feast of the Lord. Am I right? You know, it's sort of like, uh, gosh, uh, well, I'll drink to that. Yeah, like, man, Jesus, uh, you know, this this awkward pause. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps in. And Jesus turns to him and goes, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up. Um, I have something I want to say about that, actually. And so he goes on and he tells a story. And this is Luke fourteen fifteen. He says, when one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat in the kingdom, uh, in the feast of the kingdom of God. Go on here. Verse 6, it says, or verse 16, it says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. Let me tell you a story. He invited many guests. Right. Go ahead. at the time of the banquet he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited come everything is ready but they all alike began to make excuses the first said i've just bought a field and i must go and see it please excuse me another said i've just bought five yoke of oxen i'm on my way to try them out please excuse me and still another said i just got married so i can't come So the servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In this culture, if you wanted to put on a big banquet, if you wanted to put on a feast or a big dinner, it took a lot of time and preparation. It wasn't something that you could just throw together. Um, so it could take months to prepare this. You had to butcher animals. You had to bake bread. You had to make dishes. You had to find vendors to sell you fruit and vegetables. You had to cook everything. So it was imperative that you knew exactly how many people were coming to your party. Because it makes a big difference if you're going to kill two cows versus one cow. If someone brings an uninvited guest, you can't just run to Safeway and buy another chicken. Like, the, the time for food preparation has ended, right? And uh, so in this story, this man prepares all this food, and now he's sending his servant to go and collect the people who have already RSVP'd to this, to this banquet. See, what would happen is you would you'd make a guest list. You'd send out your servants. They'd go to everybody, and they'd say, Hey, are you free on this date? Are you free on March 10th for a feast? And then they RSVP. They say, yes, we're free. And they don't know what time it starts because you've got to cut the animals up. You've got to prepare all this meat. You've got, to, you've got to grill everything. We're working in the first century here, right? You don't have ovens. You don't have any of that. So you cook all your food. And then when all the food's ready, when it's all laid out, you send your runner out to go and collect. Everybody who's RSVP'd, everybody who's already decided that they are going to come. And they say, come on, the food's ready. Let's go. Let's eat. So all of these people who make excuses about coming have already known about the party in advance. They've already said that they were going to arrive. They've already said that they are going to come. So he goes to the first guy. He says, you know, come on, the feast is ready. And the first guy goes, I just bought a field. i got to go see it. What a lame excuse that is. I mean, first off, you bought a field without looking at it first? Like, why? And secondly, you've already purchased the field. The field's not going anywhere. The field is not running away. The field will be there tomorrow, right? Going and looking at it right now isn't going to help you at all. If you bought a bad field, you bought a bad field, man. You're not returning that thing, right? So he goes to the third guy, or the second guy. He goes, uh, you know, I come to the feast, and the guy says, I just bought five yoke of, I just bought ten oxen, and I need to go test him out. First of all, again, you bought ten oxen? You didn't even see if they were good animals or not? Nobody buys a used car without taking it for a test drive. Why would you buy 10 head of oxen without knowing if these are reliable animals? And secondly, these animals can't wait for the next day? You can't test them out tomorrow? The animals are not going anywhere, man. Another lame excuse. No one's returning animals to Walmart. So it goes to the third guy. Come on, the feast is ready. The third guy's got the worst excuses. The third guy doesn't even apologize. All he says is, I'm married, I can't come. (laughs) If you're married, okay, how soon was, how, how lately did you marry this person? How quick was this wedding? Because you knew about this party months ago. Did you just decide last week to get married to this person? Or in your mind, did you assume that your wedding would be a lot shorter than it was? Did you, did you assume that maybe the party was a week earlier than it actually was? This is a lame excuse. And secondly, you couldn't invite your wife to the party? She can't come along? She could come hang out? No, I'm married. I can't come. I'm sorry. Not even I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just married. So now this guy's in a bind, right? He's made this banquet. He's invested in this. It wouldn't be unheard of to go into debt. To prepare one of these banquets, one of these feasts. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of people. He's made all this food and now he has no one to eat it. That's a problem, right? It's going to go to waste. So he tells his servant, Go out into the streets. I need guests. Go find guests for this wedding. Here's the reality the excuse makers, the people who are making excuses, were successful in the eyes of the people around them, they were landowners. They were people who had wealth, people who could buy 10 oxen at a time. They were people in recent relationships, successful relationships that were going well. They were successes in the eyes of the world, but they were failures in the eyes of Jesus. And instead, the man says, I'm going out into the streets. And who am I going to pick up? Who are we going to find in the streets late in the day just hanging around? The loiterers, the people without jobs, the homeless people the people who are lame and can't work, the unsuccessful people, the people who don't have plots of land and heads of oxen, and they don't have relationships, they don't have wives to go home to. These are lonely people. The outcasts of society, bring them in. See, the rulers of this world have their eyes on people who are successful, but God has his eyes on people who are humble. People who are humble. In this world, the physically disabled, are relegated to the back row of society. But in the kingdom of God, they're put in the front. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. In a most literal sense, that's exactly what he's talking about. People who have been historically used and abused are precisely the kind of people whom the, the man who is putting on this feast is inviting to come and partake. In the first century, uh, if a wealthy Roman family had a child out of wedlock, or they, one of their daughters became pregnant, or if they had a baby girl that they didn't want, they would take that baby and they'd put them in the market square. Uh, they'd just leave it in the market square. And what you could do if you wanted to, you could go and you could collect that baby and raise it as a slave. It was a way of helping a wealthy family get rid of unwanted children, and it was a way of helping another family get a slave. Uh, the earliest accounts, the earliest secular accounts that we have about Christianity, the very, very first thing that we discover outside scripture, the very first thing that we hear about Christians is that they're known for going into the marketplaces and picking up these babies and raising them not as slaves but as their own children. From our very, very first years, we were known as a movement which takes the people who've been pushed outside, the people who've been cast aside, the people whose society believes are unfit or unwelcome or unworthy and taking them and giving them a place of prominence and respect and love taking people who have no home and giving them a home taking people who would die and giving them life that's what we're known as as a movement that's what the power of jesus does it doesn't just do it here in our society today it's done it in the earliest societies it's doing it through history that's what jesus does that's what the power of christ does takes people who are excluded and makes them insiders but even these social rejects, the people whom the servant has gone out and collected, even they are not enough to fill the house. Right? The servant says, I, I've done it. Everything that you've ordered has been done. There's still room. And so he's sent out again. But this time it says he's sent to the roads and the country lanes to compel them, to compel whoever he can find. To come inside the feast. This is a commentator. This is, uh, we have a little library here. There's a commentary on here on the book of Luke by named Busto Gonzalez, and I, I love it, and uh, you're free to use it. But this is what he said. He said, "The image of compelling people to attend the banquet is both realistic and significant. In a society of profound social distinctions, the unworthy would not dream of attending a feast given by the rich and honorable. When you invite an immigrant maid. Serving a wealthy employer to sit at the table with the family, she'll probably feel awkward and reluctant to accept the invitation. After all, the table is not supposed to be for her. It will take persuasion, probably even some pressure, to get people to accept such an unexpected invitation. In uh, 1918, Amy Sutton McPherson, who founded this denomination, uh, was doing a revival down in Key West, Florida, which is a little island just off the southern tip of Florida and um, she did a revival there. She was just starting out in sort of her evangelistic uh, ministry and becoming very popular. People wanted to go see her uh, and watch her preach, and so she did a revival in, in a in a nicer part of town, and then after a week or so, she decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a revival in the other side of town, right? This is Florida in the 1910s, very segregated. She said, I'm going to go into the black side of town and do a revival there, so she went over into the black side of town, set up her tents. And what happened was a lot of the white people who had gone to her revival meetings in the nicer part of town, they still wanted to come. So they showed up. They showed up to her tents, and they came in and sat down. And all the African Americans who lived in that area of town were on the outside of the tent, waiting, watching. Because they understood that a desegregated place if they were to enter into that, a desegregated place would cost them something. They were reluctant to come in. This is not supposed to be their table. This is not supposed to be their space. Amy said that she had to go out and pull people to come in. But when they started to come in, people started coming in. And in 1918, you had the first desegregated, integrated church service in the state of Florida. Until 1967. Because Amy Silt McPherson refused to allow this segregation to keep people apart. In the kingdom of God. That's what the spirit of God does. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is unashamed and unwilling. To allow people who have been pushed out to the margins of the society. To stay there. He takes them. He brings them in. Compels them in. That's what happens. That's how it will be in the last days. Look at the streets. Look at the alleyways. Look at the country roads. Look at the outside places. Even today, as Christ's message is being shared with all peoples, God still says, everything's ready. Come. Come. The feast has been spread. The invitation is ready. Come. Come and enjoy. Are we responding to God's invitation? I wonder. Even to this day, there are perfectly wonderful, fine religious people who have RSVP'd, to the banquet of the, of the lamb with their mouths. But when the runner comes and says, come now, they hold themselves back and begin to make excuses. Even today, there are irreligious people, people on the outskirts, people you wouldn't expect, loiterers, who have now been receiving an invitation to come, partake, enjoy, be a part of this feast. Precisely because You shouldn't be invited. Here you are invited. That's the same spirit. That's the same Jesus. He's there in the first century. He's doing it today as well. Lord, let me be ready. Let me be ready. Let my heart be prepared to meet with you. I pray that I'm not like one of the five virgins. Do you remember the story? The five virgins or ten virgins are waiting for a bridegroom to come and five have oil for their lamps and five think to themselves, I'll make it. And then it ends up being a lot longer of a night. And the women who didn't have enough oil have to go out and buy oil. By the time they come back, the party's already started and they're not allowed in. I want to be prepared that when the runner comes to me and says, come, the feast is ready, the banquet's on, come now, that I say, yes, I'm coming. I'm dropping everything and I'm coming. I want us to be there. I want you to be there. I want me to be there. I want to be prepared to meet my God. I wonder how many good and and wonderful people will find something better to do that day. And how many despised and unworthy people will find themselves sitting there at a feast that they weren't invited to. Um, the church has always wrestled with this idea. This is sort of the last idea I'm, I'm going to leave with you today. Wrestled with this idea of who is invited to the banquet. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little vulnerable with you guys. The, this last week... Uh, Accounts came out about a guy named Jean Vanier. Do you know, does no, okay, this is news to everybody. Jean Vanier was, is a, was a French Catholic theologian and activist that started Arche communities across the world, which are communities which um, bring together disabled and non-disabled peoples uh, living in the same house, helping each other, worshiping God together. Uh, I've read several of his books, in my, <laughs> I have them in my library, and I've given out several of his books uh, to other people. Somebody that I respect a lot. And uh, he passed away last year uh, at the age of 90, I think. But um, there was recent reports that came out this week that he had been found to have uh, sexually abused six women over the course of 30 years or something like that. And it leaves me with this uncomfortable wrestling. What do you do when the heroes of your life, the heroes of your faith, let you down? What do you do when that happens? And I I think that we like to think that our heroes are perfect, flawless people and that our enemies are evil and despicable. But the more that I learn about people, the more I, I honestly look at people, and not just my judgments about them, not just my presuppositions, the people I thought were enemies, I find something in them that I admire. I find qualities in them that I respect. And the people that I revere as heroes, I find something in them that I don't don't like, that I reject, that I'm uncomfortable with. For a Pharisee, the world is very cut and dry. You have your righteous people, you have your unrighteous people. You have your worthy people, you have your unworthy people. You got your clean people, you got your unclean people. And the good and righteous and clean people are going to make it into the kingdom, and the unworthy people won't. The only problem, the only frustrating problem with that is that Jesus is sitting there. Right, He's disrupting that view. He's saying things like, you know, honestly, there's a lot of really great people that are going to miss out. Because when the invitation comes, they've got better things to do. And you know what? Honestly, there's going to be a lot of terrible people in heaven. Because when the invitation came, they accepted it. And that messes me up. Does that mess anybody else up? Everybody would like to count themselves among the righteous, among the worthy. And all of a sudden we realize, if we took an honest look at our own lives, we shouldn't be there either. There's another story that uh, Jesus heals a blind man and a Pharisee who has a problem with it kind of brings up some issues. And Jesus says, you know, there's a lot of people around that think that they are seeing things, but they're actually blind. And the Pharisee says, you're not talking about us, are you? And Jesus says, you know, if you would have said you were blind, you would have been, it would have been evidence that you could see. But the fact that you're claiming to be righteous, the fact that you're claiming to be seeing, the fact that you're claiming to be an invited guest tells me that you're not. There's something powerful there, people. Who is coming to the banquet? I want to ask you, friends not if you're righteous, not if you're blameless, not if you're on our side or if you're on the other side. I'm merely a servant of my master, and if anything, I count myself as unworthy than you. But I have a duty, and that is to ask you a simple question Will you come? The invitation's been set. The feast has been prepared. Now will you come? That's a question we have to answer. That's a question you have to answer. I can't answer that for you. And you can make every excuse, every excuse in the book not to come. Brothers and sisters, there's a million and one excuses. Let me tell you something. Every time you find an excuse and it runs out of steam, there's another one right there ready for you to pick it up you could go through every excuse in the book. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, am I going to come? Am I going to accept this invitation, or am I not? Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, Fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And that same banquet set before you today. It's set before you every morning when you wake up. It's set before you every evening when you go down. We've had enough of excuses. Today is the day. Scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today. And so, brothers and sisters, will we come? Would you pray with me? For some of us, we need to even just say a prayer right now. To say, Lord, I'm willing to come. So would you just, in your own way, in your own heart, or your own mind, if you feel the tug of God, an invitation to a feast that you have been neglecting, an invitation to come that you've been putting off and putting off and putting off, but today the Spirit of God is touching your heart and asking you, will you come? Today again you have another opportunity. And so I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and you can pray it silently, you can pray it in your mind, you can pray it to your own heart. But if that's you this morning, would you just pray this prayer? All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm willing to come. I'm willing to come. I want to receive your invitation. I want to come. Please help me to find my way there. That's all you have to say. And Lord, I know that there's so many hearts in this place There's so many lives here. Our our lives are full. And in so many ways, God, we have all made excuses to avoid your feast. In so many ways, we've always put you off and put you off and put you off. In so many ways, we hold in our minds the heroes of our faith in an exalted position, which they never never should have. And God, we repent of that. Lord, we repent of our excuses. We repent of our doubt. We repent of looking to people instead of to you. And so we ask, O Lord, would you come again? Would you bring us again? Would you compel us again? Would you pull us into your feast, O Lord, so we might be near you? So we might be near you again. Holy Spirit, would you come in this place God, so many lives are in so desperate need of you. And Jesus, only you can bring satisfaction and love and resolution where we need it. So we submit our lives to you, God, and our hearts. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to pray over you. Oh, God, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only Lord and Savior. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.